Welcome to A Sex Worker's Guide to the Galaxy, where the answer to life, the universe, and everything is sex workers. I'm your host, Parker Westwood, and I am so happy to be back. Um, It's been a while since I've posted. I originally thought I was going to be taking about a month off, and I ended up taking about two, two and a half months off from posting. And I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving me the space um, to do that. I needed it. (laughs) I do this thing where I just underestimate what sort of time I'm going to need to do things. And and here I am. So I, I needed a little bit more time to settle into my new home. Um, and get oriented uh, than I thought I was going to. But I think this interview was worth the wait. Uh, Today, I am bringing you an interview with the one and only Carol Lee, or Scarlet Harlot, who has been a hero of mine in the fight for sex workers' rights and in the creative process and all of that. She's spent decades of her life in the fight for sex workers' rights and has just made moves. She's most known for coining the term sex work, and we get to hear a little bit about that in the interview. We also talk about uh, so the sociolinguistics in the feminist movement, um, anti-trafficking rhetoric and the framework in, in which we have to fight for sex workers' rights um, currently, and all sorts of other things. Her storytelling abilities are out of this world. I had such a wonderful time. Uh, the questions that I drafted for this interview were a total moot point. We didn't we didn't go anywhere near them, um, and I loved it. It was so much more fun than what I had envisioned. So, so there, or as my mother would say, sew buttons on your underwear. <laughs> but before we get to the interview, I just want to say. Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to further support the show, you can find us at Patreon, at patreon.com slash sexygalaxypod. 50% of the Patreon proceeds goes towards the work of a network of sex workers to excite revolution, or Answer Detroit. Answer Detroit is a collective of sex workers working towards the decriminalization and destigmatization of sex workers everywhere through harm reduction and mutual aid. And you can check them out at answerdetroit.org. And if you're unable to financially support the show right now or you just don't want to, that's totally cool. I'm glad you're here, glad you're listening. Um, feel free to tell your friends about it, that always helps. And if you feel so inclined, A five-star review um, wherever you listen to your podcasts is super helpful to get this podcast uh, to other people. (laughs) The algorithm likes it, and the algorithm rules all. You can also follow us on Twitter, at SexyGalaxyPod, and I post podcasty things on my Instagram, at Parker.Westwood. And I believe that's... All of that stuff we have to cover, so let's get on into the interview. Let's go. All right, listeners, I'm really excited today because I'm coming to you with someone who I have really looked up to in the sex workers' rights movement, um, and we're just we're just going to introduce you to somebody who I'm really excited to talk to. So, uh, Carol Lee, also known as Scarlet Harlot, welcome to the show. 
Well, thanks so much, Parker. I'm so glad to be here too, and I'm so glad to meet you. So, I mean, I've I've seen your your you know the the notes about your podcast, and it always seemed amazing. And I just thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to have you. Um, the way we generally start the podcast is having the guest introduce themselves with a name, pronouns, where you're located, and what kind of sex work you do or have done. What kind of sex work I do or have done? And um, okay, name Carol Lee. Pronouns she, they. Uh, located Ohlone Land, San Francisco. And um, what was the other question? What kind of sex work you oh, do sex or have done? Work. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's see. So mostly I've done full service kind of escort, prostitution, in call. Um, uh, worked in massage parlors, a little bit of porn, um, uh, fetish, worked in a fetish business for a while, uh, haven't done webcam. It was a bit after I was, my career had was thrusting. Yes. And, um, <laughs> um, something else might come up, but that's all I remember now. Amazing. <laughs> I'm multi, multi-talented woman. I, I did. I only did uh, dancing stripping once at the Golden Banana in Peabody, Massachusetts. So it was only one time, but it was memorable for me. So. <laughs> I bet you were wonderful. Uh, and how how did you get started in sex work? Well, you know, I mean, I feel like I trace it back to I trace it back to my. Uh, my youth, not in that I was doing sex work, but I was curious about sex work. Uh, my family talked about my older relatives sometimes seeing prostitutes, and they talked about it in a very exotic way, and uh, it made me wonder what it was about. Um, I, there were a lot of factors, and some factors were very negative. I remember when my mother was angry at my father, she would say that he treated her like a prostitute. So mm. actually the k- kind of symbology around whore and prostitute was always a part of my life. It was always present. It wasn't something that wasn't discussed one way or the other, either sometimes romanticized. Um, my father had a porn collection hidden away, but I found it. And there was <laughs> yes. And of course, I looked at the women there and I wanted to look like that when I grew up. What is that thing about nobody ever wants to be a sex worker when they grow up? Right. What is that? I don't get that. And neither do I. I certainly did when I was young. It's just weird because it's so blatantly not true. Not like I, well, I wanted to pose in those magazines and with my breasts. Yes. And look all happy under a Christmas tree. It was Christmas Carol. I remember her and that was wonderful. So, (laughs) um, so those factors influenced me. As a feminist, uh, I, in some ways went in the other direction, but I was always very political. I was a red diaper baby. And, you know, I know a lot of red diaper babies who then went on to do sex work, actually. Yes. Kind of the next re- yeah, you you know about this too? Uh, a bit, if I if it's what I think you're talking about. But like, yeah, the... the... Uh, oh, well, yeah, that, that's people. the parents were socialists. I mean, my yes. parents were socialists in mm-hmm. the 30s. And um, 
I, I know quite a few. So you're saying you run into people like that too. I think if you like, my parents were very um, socialist minded, very like they would call themselves hippies for sure. Um, and I, I think with that sort of a, a mindset, I was raised in a, a an environment where I didn't judge as much. And I, I really was raised to question um, assumed judgments and, and society's take on things. Interesting. Well, you know, I hadn't even thought of these recent generations when, because I think when I'd interviewed many of my friends about being a red diaper baby turning into a, a socialist, it was was about their parents' rebellion and continuing that. Um, Absolutely. I, I think that uh, when my parents were getting older, um, it was during the period when some of their friends were veering towards supporting Stalin. Mm. So they uh, taught me very fiercely to always question every possible thing. Yes. And, and I think I, so they never wanted me to accept the right or the left. I mean, I was really raised on kind of a critique of capitalism and a critique of, of communism or socialism and just a critique of everything. So, um, I mean, I know a lot of other people like me. That, uh, it's interesting. But, and I guess a lot of the parents, the parents we know were, were leftists and hippies. And, I mean, Absolutely. I was a leftist and hippie. I just didn't have any kids. <laughs> You've influenced um, a lot of people. I can tell you that much. Oh, right. I'm I'm the whore mother to so many. And I like that. Yes. That's a way of being a mother for me. It means for a lot sure. to me. Yeah. Um, would you mind telling us about your experience taking your first client? Like when you first kind of walked into the world of sex work? Sure. Well, um, let me, I'll need to go back a little because this is a long story. For sure. So um, as a feminist, I learned that um, it, it's problematic to capitulate to men's desires when they only have to give you money. They don't really have to be nice to you. Right. That makes sense. And I also, uh, my own realization was walking around in a world where women are naked and men are clothed. There was some a disadvantage implied. I mean, right. I didn't. You know, I would have had to be pretty defensive to not admit that there was something going on there that I needed to examine. Then, you know, Betty, uh, excuse me, Gloria Steinem went to work at Playboy and decided to write an expose. So I figured as a feminist, it would make sense for me to explore. Then I was also has, having some sexual fantasies about prostitution. Mm -hmm. Then also my whole lifestyle was all about working as few hours as possible and doing my art. And yes. So what was my art? As a child, I wanted to be like Shirley Temple. Uh, mm -hmm. I majored in theater in high school. Then I switched to writing and poetry, which I majored in, in uh, Boston University. I went to study with Anne Sexton. And oh my gosh. She committed suicide. So yes, that's right. Um, so meanwhile, my quest was to not work 40 hours a week. You know, I sold pot. I just was living underground. I was a hippie. I did it for a long time and trying not to do prostitution because I was a feminist and I wasn't so sure, but Gloria's done and did it, so maybe it's okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I did dabbled. Uh, I did try dancing on amateur night at the Golden Banana in Peabody, Massachusetts, <laughs> and I actually had sex 
with two men in the parking lot. Oh my gosh. I know. Can you believe it? Uh, were you uh, were you paid for that? Very little. I think <laughs> I only got $30. I didn't, I have no idea you could really make money from this. Oh, I forgot. I did do something when I was young. I do think I was over 18 though. I don't <laughs> quite recall, but um, so I went to run away from home, sort of. I didn't tell my parents I was running away. I told them I was staying with a friend. Anyway, to the East Village to stay with more hippies. Yes. And um, then I went to the newspaper, The Village Voice, and I, I did try out for a play. And I was in a play where all the actors were like on stage being naked and flopping around. I don't get this play. It was kind of like an artsy thing, but it was so dumb. <laughs> and um, I was in the chorus. <laughs> it was like the dumbest thing ever, but fun. It was like on East 14th Street. That was that was sex work. And then I also went to work at a nude modeling studio. Yes. And I did not really get what that was. So I must have been, I bet I was 18. Um, mm -hmm. So... I just didn't quite get it. I didn't understand it was prostitution. It seemed um, scary enough or just odd enough that you would have sex with a stranger. Yeah. Um, so this was way, I mean, this was before feminism. So this was in the late 60s. Feminism, I became a feminist in 73. So I, I wasn't too aware of too many things, but a, an old man. So he must have been over 40. Right? Yeah. Way old. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to be ages, but when I was, um, you know, old teenager, old, oh yeah, old, old men seemed so gross to me. I'm sorry, you know, when it was just like that. Yeah, I mean, anyway. we're so we're socialized to think that way for sure. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I don't know if he was my first client, but anyway, so it turned out he wanted to jack off and look at me when I took my clothes off. Oh my goodness. <laughs> For five dollars. Ew! How can I do that? Ew! I'm really compromising myself. Ew! But I did mm -hmm. because I had to try everything. I was very adventurous. I come on, it's just but five dollars was nothing. I knew it was nothing, and it was nothing then. It was it's nothing. Right. I just did it because I just wanted to see what it was like. So it was gross. I didn't go back right when I realized because you know what? Why did well, I shouldn't say that. Nobody ever told me you could make a lot of money at prostitution. Not yes. saying that this is true for everyone. I'm not saying that this, this is also, it's, I, I can make more money with my privileges. I'm remind, right. always remembering, but you know, but really I, I didn't know you can make actual money. Yeah. And I'm lucky that I didn't start earlier. I understand different people have different lives and I don't want to insult people's experience, but I'm glad that I was quite developed emotionally and intellectually and I didn't really start until I was about 27. Yeah. So even though I dabbled and I tried to be a stripper a few times, they thought I was too fat. You know what? I was not fat at all. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, that's... What? They, they, I got turned away from a club once because um, I, I used to be a stripper as well and uh -huh. uh, got turned away from a club because I wasn't attractive enough and they thought I was overweight and I certainly was not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, I can't believe they didn't want to hire me. I was so cute. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I understand everybody has different lives, works out different for everybody, but 
for me, I am very glad that I was developed and could handle, uh, you know, just the challenges of a lot of the stigma. Oh, absolutely. Being a sex worker. An early 20, early to mid 20s is for I started late as well. I didn't get started in uh, full service sex work till 28. And oh, okay. well, that's so, that's not true till I was 30. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And it, I would not have had the boundaries and self-worth that I do now if I had started in my 20s. Um, so I, I relate to you on that for sure. Well, you know, that's interesting to me, too. Because I've always had kind of yucky boundaries. You know what? I'm not a sort of person. I'm very good. I was good at speaking truth to power when I was a young person. Yeah. But my problem when I did sex work was that when they wanted to stay longer, it was just hard for me to get rid of them. It was just hard to, you know, yes. they just, and the, all they wanted to do was talk. So they want to talk for an hour about their family. Yeah. And it was just hard for me to. And they were just like trying to steal my time, I think. I mean, I feel like they were gaslighting me. They didn't use that term in those days, but it was crazy. And it was, I found that so stressful that, yes. you know, and there was these like gentleman types and they were just sit there talking about the most boring things. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wound up doing an hour and a half usually. And I always felt that I had to compromise because I was always afraid that I'd get arrested if mm -hmm. I was having to go out and find more clients all the time. So I always felt like I was sort of forced to be more compromised. And I was having boundaries was not easy, but I worked mm -hmm. around it very brilliantly. I always, um, I just, uh, I knew how much I could handle. I tried to work as little as possible. Right. Uh, that sort of thing. I just figured out how to keep as sane as possible, given my flaws. So I, I've always been like that. Yeah. They always bother you about, you don't have, your self-esteem is bad. I don't know, everybody. But whose who's is? I hate when they target that at sex I workers. Do. I hate that too. Yes, it drives me wild. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you know, whatever with my self-esteem, I really, really did learn to work with all my flaws and, and a, a system in which uh, my flaws could become strengths. And that's part of the artist I am and part of the art I've created. So a lot of the rules that you hear in society about how your personality is supposed to be constructed so you're not like a bad slut, I guess. I'll, I realized those rules didn't necessarily have to be the rules that I could find my own life and be exactly. proud of who I am. Exactly. And so the first client, it's still not going to be the first client. So the first client, then finally I got into sex work because I moved to a strange city. I didn't really have too many friends. Remember the last job I had, I was a waitress. The boss came on to me and I thought, this is just like, why shouldn't I be a prostitute? You know, for the first time having moved to San Francisco and all the signs, sex massage girls, you know, and yes. Gloria Steinem did it. And Hemingway went off to war. And, and this is a, a, a terrain of, of, of combat and sexual politics. And I should just try it and then I'll write about it. I'm doing it. <laughs> yes. I didn't know anybody who did it. Uh, I went down to a massage parlor and I knew it was a, a place for sex because of what well, they weren't selling ambiance. Mm -hmm. It was just sleazy. And 
I went in and I knew that you weren't supposed to kind of talk about things. I understood that, and I was in my late twenties. You know, yeah, I, I knew I would implicate them. So I had to be careful and I just, I don't remember what I said or I dressed just like a nice, cute woman, nothing special, nothing sexy, just regular. And they sent me in with a regular mm-hmm. and he was lovely. Now he was 35, but by that time, I don't know why I remember that, but he was 35. And by that time, since I was, he was not old to me. I mean, actually I prefer yet, preferred younger men, a little younger, but he wasn't old to me. He had curly hair, he smelled nice. He was clean, everything nice about him, very cheerful. He said he wanted French and mm. I guessed what it was. <laughs> Did you guess right? right? I guessed right, low job. <laughs> Yes. It was a blowjob. And I guessed right. And I got $35. Whoa, I'm coming up. As I said, my last one was 30. So I'm making a little more. I had no yes. idea how much to ask for. I still, I still didn't get that there was real money involved in this. Yeah. Um, cause nobody even in the dressing room talked to me yet. Um, it was a very diverse environment a massage parlor that was uh women from all over the world korea vietnam mexico and uh i was i felt so fortunate to be there amongst those women of course i was fascinated with how they dealt with the stigma and the circumstance of their lives and prostitution and i i mean i knew that first day this this was going to be the, the center of my life and i understood you know i mean i I skipped all the, you know, the stories about developing my art and how that was central to my life and trying to find meaning in my life. But anyway, I knew that this was what I was, everything I was looking for in terms of exploration about life. And Mm -hmm. um, I remember going home on the BART underground kind of bus uh, or yeah, like a subway. And I'm, you know, those mirrors on the bus they're dark and you could just see your face. I remember looking in that mirror and there's this, this window in the bard and I was thinking, wow, now that's a prostitute. Yes. And I realized, <laughs> right, like I was the same person yes. and that there's nothing changed. Okay, now I'm a prostitute and there is no line dividing women, other women from prostitutes. The line disappeared. And that was the revelation. Absolutely. Because we're taught otherwise. We're taught that we become demons or all like villains, like just so many things once we cross that line. And you're right. It just evaporates once we step over it. And as a feminist, this was such a revelation as a feminist, because I learned so much as a feminist that that being a, a prostitute was evil. And right. Just to have that revealed was... I mean, I learned the ways that feminism could be untrue. Yes. And that was an essential part of my life because feminism was really, you know, my prior revelation. And that was, you know, really at the center of my life, along with my art. That was I sort of I was completely immersed in in feminist theory. Yes. Never really went along with. No, no. I I mean, didn't go along with everything. Put it that way. I, I just. I was always questioning yeah, and, and buying into most of it too. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, you have to buy in sometimes to expose the, the fault lines. And I think I had the same experience with feminism was where I, I realized where feminism can fall prey to patriarchal thought. And, and when you exclude sex workers and you exclude trans folks from your feminism, like that's, um, that's a problem. That's not really feminism anymore. So, oh gosh, feminism. Well, I don't know now I, you know, so do we identify as feminists is a good question. Uh, tell me how about your feminism? How do you deal with feminism and do you identify as a feminist? I do identify as a feminist. I think um, I think it's really important to to claim that. I think I I hold out hope. I'm kind of an eternal optimist, but I I hold out hope that the that all feminists will kind of come to some sort of agreement that like maybe there can be enough discussion that like sex workers rights can be part of the feminist platform. Um, that trans rights can be part of the overarching feminist platform. Um, I do hold out hope for that because I've seen people's minds change around those things. Um, and I'm just hopeful. And I think there's no reason to give up the word feminism just because there are some people who identify as feminists who don't hold the same beliefs. One of my favorite subjects. Um, so yeah. I had a lot of thoughts on it. And, you know, sometimes my, my ideas contradict themselves. So I'm not against having uh, feelings in both directions, contradictory ideas. I, I hold contradictory ideas. So we contain multitudes. Absolutely. <laughs> I, just, I don't know how, to, how people manage to figure things out without saying, well, one thing is true and the opposite could be true, too. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh what a radical idea. I know. It seems like, how could I get my life if I didn't think that? So here's with my feminism. Um, I do really deeply question having the issue of gender be at the center. I, well, I do define it that there is a center that has to do with gender and that also an attachment to the rise of yin or femaleness or so I do start there mm -hmm. I guess I don't know that's where are you on that I mean as far as like where does feminine the feminist like origin begin well do you what what is femi what is feminism I mean is it centering the female is it Equality, mm. you don't know. I mean, what I, I mean, what, yeah. the, I, when I define feminism, I really do define it as an. Okay, I'll just say what I think, and you think more, and then we'll go back. Yes, please. Okay, yes. Okay, good. Wait, because I have more to say. I wanted to say. Okay, I want to say that I'm an essentialist, and I am a cultural feminist. So part of my identification as a feminist has to do with the people I knew when I discovered the various kinds of thought systems that went along with feminism and the culture that I was fr from about for the first time learning to love women. Yes. Uh, learning to be proud uh, that I'm a woman. Um, so to me, that's the feminism that I love. Now that cultural feminism, I think also is related to my privilege. I do think that I have like a cis white I don't even need to say it, cis white feminism, you know. Right. I yeah. mean, just this 
while I'm envisioning that culture that I love so much, I'm thinking of the Michigan Women's Festival and I'm thinking how the center of what I was doing was about, or, or in that center were people fighting about excluding trans people and, and, and how, and how our, our communities were. Right. Being trans women and most of the people I knew weren't really doing much about it or weren't sure what to do. Yeah. So here's my culture. So I'm saying anyway, so there's opposite opinions. I, I have, I still am, I embrace some of those stories and embrace some of those moments that not. Yeah. Not, I mean, not the moments of, of, of discrimination, but I just embrace the parts I choose. And, and then there is part of me. So I was exposed by the god to the goddess by a, anti-porn activist macho woman gold and i used to oh, run wow. a women's i know right she's <laughs> still around but she does environmental work good for they, her I'm, I'm not really I, I haven't communicated with them and i don't recall but i i've seen their work on the web but they do environmental work and they just said there was too much angst in it but although uh i think she is her pronoun now, Marcia still believes um, in anti-porn um, mm -hmm. anti ideology, but she doesn't want to fight about it anymore. So yeah. she taught me then, and I, in my group, there was a woman who was a stripper, my first exposure, uh, Hinda Paquette, who mm -hmm. is also a writer and has a website, a brilliant woman, and um, she and Marsha were having like this kind of love affair and they were fighting and the hypocrisies that I saw from Marsha about her kind of desire for that woman and her kind of condemnation. I, I found that uh, hypocrisy really enlightening. So um, I see I'm just going on and on about my own questions, but, but you know what, now here we are. <laughs> and, and, and feminism and how can I have center on gender as uh, you know as the lens through which I look at justice when the economic justice gender is an issue and especially around gender fluidity yes it's an issue but feminism for me is not centered on gender fluidity it for me again it's about uh, moving towards the feminine principle uh, my essentialism mm -hmm. says that Feminine is good and men are bad and they people up. <laughs> Do people extract little little pieces of my interview and say that? And look how bad Scarlet Harlan is. She's such an essentialist. And look, do they take these little pieces where I? They do, don't they? They well, probably. That's often what happens. I think too. Like we only beat men when they want it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think. I do think that with feminism, at least for me, the way that I, I tend to look at feminism is that it's the antithesis of the patriarchy. It is centering femme identity, maybe not even identity, but like femme qualities, um, which is like acceptance, compassion, inclusivity, intersectionality. Like it, it's no longer centered around this like rigid idea of gender, but these like concepts that have been left behind in patriarchy. Um, so for, for me, feminism isn't so much centered around gender as much, but like these 
um, concepts that are associated with the feminine. Um, I get that with my attachment to the ascendance of the female principle. That's yes. what we're, we're saying the same thing there. Exactly. Right? I did want to ask you because um, I, I really want to hear about the genesis of the term sex work because you you're credited with credited with the coining the term sex work. Oh yes. And I would love to hear where that where that came about and how you how you coined the term sex work. Right. I like that that whole thing, but I really love deconstructing the terminology around sex work. But I had one more thing I have to add. Yes, please. It can't be excluded about feminism. Yes. Uh, women of color, all my friends, forget feminism and what it's done to them. There's a very, uh, it's the majority, I mean, might identify as womanist, might, uh, whenever talk about feminism, might also make sure to critique the way feminism has has been uh, discriminatory towards women of color. That is such a huge factor in my life. That's half of how I deal with feminism uh, as part of this community with this lived experience. Yes. So for me, uh, you know, if I'm gonna call myself a feminist, I, I can only do it by qualifying it with that fact. Yes. And by qualifying with everything else I qualified it with before, yeah. you know, and. The only thing I support it with is my, you know, sounds a little privileged. It's just my wanting to embrace some personal nostalgia, but I justifying it in that, well, if I do it privately, well, if I explain, maybe it, there's room to deal with it. Okay. Right. Room to process it. So <laughs> I said it. Okay. Okay, so here we are on sex work. So how I coined the term sex work? Yes, Is that please. where we want to start? Okay. Yes, please. You know, that's the story you're supposed to tell all the time. Okay, yeah. But my favorite is to deconstruct the terminology around sex work because I mean, sex workers are starting to do that more and more and that's kind of new. So I find that so exciting, but sex work. Well, um, it was in, late 70s, early 80s, and I'm not 100% exactly which year. I know the event was a conference. So I've been a sex worker, act, a prostitute activist. I had never used the term, been a prostitute activist. As soon as I became a prostitute, I, I, I went out and I, I started writing poetry about it. I had a theater show. I, I mean, I developed an act. I was in San Francisco. I was a performance poet. Yes. So I was going to a conference as part of Coyote. We used to go to the anti-porn conferences and sort of make a stand as people who are actually in the business wanting to give a per first person perspective Absolutely. by individuals involved. So, yeah. um, so I went to one and I do remember that we, I think it was at Mills College. I keep trying to find it, but I, I remember being outside and picketing in a circle. I think I remember Priscilla Alexander being there. I remember mm -hmm. attending workshops. And now I remember this one workshop I went to. I remember walking up the stairs in this building. And at the top, there was a, a newsprint pad. And I remember the name of this workshop. Uh, I don't remember if it was a manual or anything, but I, I just I looked online, but it was something about the sex use industry, right? Mm -hmm. Now that sounds bad. It right? sounds terrible, yeah. Right. 
But I wasn't like even thinking about that whole thing. Muse. I was thinking that, you know, we are feminists. Mm -hmm. So why are we identifying the situation by what the men do? The men use the services, right? No. We should be identifying by what the women do. And what do the women do? They work. Work. They work industry. I remember... I crossed it off and just put the word work there. Went into the workshop. On the official workshop sign, you crossed it off and just wrote it in? This is in my memory. And this is, I, you know, this is what my memory says. Yeah, let's go with it. I'm here for it. Let's go with it. Let's go with it. I think (laughs) I might have actually, actually crossed it off. But anyway, when I got to the workshop, I began to talk about it. But nobody thought anything. Mm -hmm. I remember we were sitting in a circle. And there wasn't any reaction. Anyway, you know, most of the people there, they don't know anything about porn, anti-porn. They were just there, feminists trying to learn things. They weren't on any side. There was a few rabid people who might have, but they never thought about it before. So nobody, there was no issue, nothing. So, you know, it just stayed there and that was fine. And when I left, and so no discussion. I don't remember that the discussion that ensued. It wasn't because I think if, of course, the people who are presenting the workshop were the anti-porn people, and I'm—I don't recall what the you know, what we all discussed in that workshop. But um, I knew when I left that this was a good word, sex work. Yes, and very interesting to me that nobody objected. Now I didn't really understand at that point that it was going to be kind of the center of our movement, but I did realize that I figured something out and especially when I went went home to write my poetry yes and write my play I was primarily writing a, a play comprised of poetry was Edna St. Vincent Millay had a one woman performance piece or play I just there were some there were some poets who wrote in that in that um format and this was what I was doing. I wrote little poems and then I weaved them together with a, a script. And my Adventures of Scarlet Harlot was about a prostitute, exactly me. Yes. Who was going to come out and change the place of prostitution in the world. And so the first thing she does, she goes on stage and she has a paper bag on her head. And it says, this paper bag symbolizes the anonymity prostitutes are forced to adopt. And she can't see, and she's clumping along our wore tap shoes. So yes. she clumps up the stairs, and she can't see anything, clump, clump, clump. And she has the paper bag on her head. And as she takes it off, she goes, sex workers unite. Yes. We won't remain anonymous. Oh. And then she has a manifesto. And this I got from the Dadaists because it just says, whore, 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 in big words, (laughs) right? It's just, but she's reading off it. Uh, There are laws in this country. Oh my God, see, I don't remember what it said, but it said all those things that prevent me from blah, 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 you know. Yes, yes. Bad, bad, bad. And so there I came out as a sex worker. And then, I'd say, oh, wowie, I'm going to announce it to the whole world. So then I would call people and get their advice. I called Priscilla Alexander, a great activist in Coyote. Mm -hmm. And and she was kind of sex negative and uptight. 
So she gave me a funny view. <laughs> her funny view was like, oh, you know, she was like blase about the term sex worker. But what she told me about the insidious relations between the, sense, the sexes and the feminization of women, she told me that lipsticks are insidious and that lipsticks, when she looks at them, she knows what they symbolize. They symbolize doggy cocks. <laughs> oh my and Scarlett's like, wow. thank you, Priscilla. Thank you for enlightening me. <laughs> she goes and she'll just call one person after the next and she comes out to her mother and then I come on stage and I okay so that's the story so that's how the term sex work was born it's fantastic the play was really really did say say it and established it and 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 made the whole argument for it and it was really Priscilla Alexander and I who 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 created the, the prevalence of the use of that term. She called, yes. I was part of the book that she published, Sex Work. I had a look, several chapters and there are many, it's kind of like, like chapters that I've been writing interwoven through the book and, um, you know, philosophy. I developed with Kate Marquez, a girlfriend of mine who's now recently writing a book about herself and me and sex work and, um, how how uh, how prostitution saved my life. Um, oh, cool. So all these people around me, uh, uh, you know, I, I developed those philosophies with everyone around me, Margot St. James and Coyote and yes, and Priscilla. By 1987, I think that book was published. So this was, you know, there's a documented article about it in '83, but I know it was before that because I'd already been producing the play, so it was a couple of years before that, basically. Absolutely, that's the whole sex work story. I love it. I think I I think it's so important. I love that everyone was just kind of like, yeah, 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 call it whatever you want. But like the the importance of that term, identifying that we are workers, is so key to identifying the sex workers rights movement as a labor movement as like a, a workers rights movement right. um and I, I would love one of the things you said you wanted to talk about was like the sociolinguistics in the sex worker movement and i would love to hear your thoughts on some of the other words that we use um and and how yeah just like open that brain of yours tell me about it <laughs> don't more sociolinguists in our movement? Don't you think yes. we don't have enough? I mean, I noticed that. Why aren't people discussing? Um, well, Robin Lakoff, language in a women in a woman's place, was what influenced me. So you know, early feminism. Mm -hmm. Of course, we created the term Ms. and 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 chairwoman, not chairperson. And, yes. I mean, the way that feminism impacted language was was profound and empowering. And um, I say as a cis white woman who saw, you know, I just to say, you know, I loved feminism because it empowered me, it gave me power. And I see that this, some of that came, a lot of that way of loving this politics came from my privileges. and. Um, that's something I learned about, you know, some people never let go of that in their feminism. Some people didn't wake up and realize, oh, you know, this movement, this, these realizations gave you so much because 
the position you have in society and the ways you could network and the revelations empowered me. Yes. Not everybody. No, not everybody. One thing interested me is that there was one question, and I yes. think this was the re. I think this was when I was looking at all that brilliant work by Hack, Hacking Hustling. Oh, yes. Right? And they had they were amongst, on their panel, and I, it may have even been an actual panel about this. It was about sex work and anti-sex work. And there were some people suggesting that the term sex work implies that work is good and mm. implies that work is good. That there's an implication that work, like, you know, you're supposed to work and have a job and be a good supportive person in society. And that the term sex work has that implication. Uh, ah. I, I'm making a face right now, listeners, because I don't buy it. Um, <laughs> I think I think that is a. Uh, that's not a problem they have with the term sex work. That's a problem they have with the term work. Right. And and the thing is, like. It is work and we live in a capitalist society. And so to identify it for what it is makes it so that we can fight for the rights of the workers. Um, I'm not arguing that work is good or bad at this point. Um, I would definitely say that capitalism has its flaws. Um, but I think, yeah, they they definitely don't have a, well, if they have a problem with the term sex work, it's something other than what they identified. Wow. Well, you must have thought about this, or are you just saying that because it's so much that's, part of you that that's coming just... off the top of my head. I'm coming to the oh, defense of sex oh. work. <laughs> Everything you said is what the other people will say when they when I ask them what they think. Isn't that funny? Interesting. Well, some one academic suggested that there is some. Oh, I'm totally a leftist, of course, now, you know, I, I mean, yes. I'm not a libertarian, although I, in the United States, there's a very huge libertarian contingent. You That's know. true. And, but I am a leftist, but, and not anti-communist, of course, because my family would be put in jail, uh, yeah. you know, or they were <laughs> deprived jobs. They weren't really, my family wasn't put in jail. People I know were founded. And, anyway, so I'm not anti-communist, but that some of the leftists, discourse and the older leftist discourse around prostitution and sex work has not really been digested as well as it could be and that uh, that's impacting some of the current discourse on on sex work absolutely also, yeah. there's there's a lot of um perspective shifting we still have to do for different groups of people honestly i think that different groups of people have different qualms with sex work um so it takes a lot of, it's going to take a lot of conversations with different groups of people to kind of, uh, what, am, what is the phrase I'm looking for? But to, to be on the same page about like what sex work actually is. I'm fascinated in this. And I have to say, I don't, it's one of these things I don't at all understand yet. She, uh, 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 an academic explained to me that there is a lot, also some very sophisticated kind of uh, sophisticated students of Marxism that are developing these theories that if you don't have the exposure to this, that it's hard to understand that yes. there is some, so I'm, that's what she said that I'm missing, 
you know, I, that I would, I'm not going to get this until I study it up a bit more. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably in that boat with you as well. There's definitely some more Marxist theory I could, I could digest and, and learn a few things from, but in the meantime, I still think sex workers rights is worth fighting for. So <laughs> now thought scholar, do you know their work? Oh my They're, God. I'm in love. People. Yes. <laughs> well, they one of the only, I mean, they, I don't think they every day say, Oh, I'm a philosopher, but isn't that, isn't that thought scholar seems so much like a philosopher to me. Oh know. yeah. Well, certainly a poet, certainly a poet. And I think that once you start to like have that love of language and you you're a poet, so you can attest to this. Oh, once you have that love of language, you can't not fall in love with philosophy. Um, the way that words influence society and people. Um it's really hard. It's really hard to not get into philosophy if you love words. And the the term sex work, I, I know from these years of, of people in the movement objecting to it in various ways. Mm -hmm. So I know from that, um, some people would object because uh, not because they don't casually use the word. Right. Because it's not unless you're an activist you might but even if you're an activist you won't be going oh i'm going to go home and do some sex work you might say i'm going to go work you will say that in fact that's what we said when i was coining the term sex work and that's why i knew that you know yeah everybody around me like totally regards this as work yes right? i gotta put on my uniform <laughs> you know yeah i mean we I, it was always bizarre to me that uh, that it was such a surprise that it was work. They, the other people think it's either an expression of our sluttiness or it's some kind of rape. That is, mm. it, it, so we, the people experience it as work mm -hmm. and then the people against it, but I don't want to be dualistic. Um, but, no, but that's, no. that ties right back into what you were saying earlier that like we are, complex and the issue is complex and we contain contradictory things right so like it's really hard to talk about sex work because like as a sex worker I find like I want people to believe that it's work so I want to talk about like the good parts but I don't want to um completely invalidate the experiences that I've had and that my friends have had and that other people have had where it's like not great but wait, work uh, is bad. Wait, wait, wait. It's not work like, oh, I have to go to work. I mean, most, no, there's good work and then there's work you like that you want to do. And then there's work, so much work. Like, I don't want to go work at the restaurant tonight unless it's like I have a rare feeling to, I'm going to see somebody, right? Exactly. That's like really yucky. But it's but like no. any other job in that way, except that we're not protected. You don't mind talking about that, or do you even want to sometimes veer away from talking about it as a yucky job? I don't know. But we have, some of us don't experience that as a yucky job. I'm not right. sure I experienced it as a yucky. I know, I don't think I ever experienced it as a yucky job. I yeah, I think it's just um, it's it. I want to talk about it in its multitudes, right? But like when I'm talking to people who are very anti-sex work, I find myself wanting to talk about it in all of its good forms and not talking about it in in the other multitude of ways that it can be experienced 
And I think that happens a lot. You, there's like a, there are a lot of sex workers I see that are just like, it's empowering and like all these things. And it, it can be that I, I experience it that way, but I've also experienced it where like, I've had a client who crossed some boundaries and I felt like I really needed the money and I felt really beholden to that moment. And like, like I didn't want to be there. Um, and luckily I've, I've not had like a violent client. I'm very, very grateful for that. But it's, it's one of those things where like, I, I think it's important that we talk about it on the whole and like the way that many people experience it rather than like what society wants us to do, which is like pigeonhole it into different things, right? Like we're either like, we make thousands of dollars and we like glorify it. And it's like neon lights and all this stuff, um, champagne bottles all the time or villain, like criminalized, like on the way that um, people assume like street workers work. Um, You know what I mean? I think it's- Yeah, I know. And you know, it's also not- recognizing that continuum is the so discriminatory and mm-hmm. and really you know leaves out the most vulnerable members of our communities so it's it's such a horrible thing yes. to you know be forced into that situation where you are only where you're not admitting anything bad it's so discriminatory it's so there's so much cruelty in that and 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 I think a lot of times maybe more privileged sex workers are just um, don't quite understand that kind of conundrum. It's really a hard one to get out of because here, I mean, I, I don't want to put too much blame on people for being also under the microscope all the time. People saying, "Oh, you know, you 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 hate sex work. You're not admitting it. You're deceitful." And then you're just having to kind of just say, oh no, it's really great, I make money. And then leave out the millions of people who just, you know, don't want to do it, it's so hard. I think people just want it to be cut and dry because it's easier to find a solution when it's either this or that. Um, And it's a complex industry that, that is going to require like, complex solutions so that workers can have rights like it's not like a a one-size-fits-all sort of thing um sex work is so many different things um and when people try to lump sex work and trafficking together that makes it even more of an issue and i know you had said that you wanted to speak on this so i'd love to hear your thoughts on that well i do notice wait let me take a break can you oh yeah a makeup break yeah, makeup break. I should probably drink some water. <laughs> this makeup break is the perfect opportunity for me to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Companion Tax. If you are a sex worker and need help with your taxes, Companion Tax is where I go and I highly recommend it. So check them out at companiontax.com. Now, I think we've had enough time to powder our noses, so let's get back into the interview. 20 years, I was one of the producers of a small film festival, San Francisco Sex Worker Film and Arts Festival. Um, yes. But and then I, what I'd worked on then for the next, whatever, the mo- main part of my older life was a, a video series 
collateral damage, sex workers and the anti-trafficking campaigns and studying about trafficking. So basically, um, and working with international activists and mostly, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in Laura Augustine's camp yeah. in terms of, um, I really challenge the anti-trafficking framework. I, Good. The difference, I think I do work inside the trafficking uh, tangentially with some organizations Mm -hmm. because I want to see what they're doing. I want yes. to fight to represent prostitutes, even though um, these contexts are bad. Yes. So the, the anti-trafficking framework, I think, is a booby trap for sex workers. Yes. It combines disparate conditions, situations, i.e. like youth who left home could be living with other youth, or homeless people or people who work in factories and all kinds of sex workers. And it combines disparate communities under a framework that molds it into one kind of idea that, mm, well, the idea that we have to keep people out of our country, <laughs> that's one. Um, that we have to stop immigration and um, that uh, immigrants are being like, tortured through trafficking and that we can't let them move around. That's part of it. And that sex workers are tortured through sex work mm. and we can't let them move around. Uh, we can't let them be legal because being a, a sex worker is, is equals rape. Right. So we the idea is that that we protect these folks by removing all of their rights. <laughs> Which just like it it never really made sense to me. The anti-trafficking movement, they they tell this like super villain story of like traffickers and like what what a prostitute actually is or what a sex worker is. And then they create all these laws around it, not taking into account how it actually affects our community, where like it's illegal for like two or more sex workers to share an apartment in order to work out of and like work safely. Right. Like that's considered a illegal brothel or what have you. And um, even I think you've you identified this in your book. Um, unrepentant whore which I love the title <laughs> um that that even our loved ones could be considered as like living off the arrears of of a sex worker uh, which is in these anti-trafficking policies considered a an offense it's illegal well that was true before pimping is is just your family could be a pimp that was totally escalated the uh the charges and they made it even to a more serious crime. And then they, they, they sort of called it trafficking. Yeah. So um, that, but the thing, and also what I know what, what concerns me is that there are so many definitions of trafficking. The UN has one, the US has a different one because in the US, it does say in the TVPA, it does say that all sex work is trafficking. It says that, but then that's not an operational because in definition, because in U.S. code, the 
Well, it used to be in U.S. code within trafficking codes. I guess they don't penalize commercial sex itself. They only penalize it when it's accompanied by other kinds of force. I don't know how to say this quite well, but I do know that um, I do know that there are so many definitions, and that when people talk about trafficking, even to say that trafficking is bad. Uh, no matter what they say, it doesn't take into account like what definition of trafficking, who's trafficking, if are the are those people just talking about commercial sex in general? Right. Are they talking about you know forced sex work with you know uh, that you know that of course does include yeah. coercion? I mean that it's absolutely impossible to understand what they're talking about. So I feel that it reifies the kind of the, the concept of trade trafficking and gives people the, the idea that it is one thing or one monolith of a structure. And that um, when in reality, there are so many circumstances and, and there's so many kinds of abuses and exploitations and why are they taking the most extreme mm -hmm. that happens, but happens in, of course at a much rarer rate than the a million every day injustices that we face as workers and, right. uh, and as migrants. Uh, you know, why are they taking that those elements and making that symbolic for oral trafficking and then making it symbolic for prostitution? You know, the, the trafficked person is a symbol of the prostitute for the general public. Well, they try an hour. We have anti-trafficking allies, right? Yeah. And the anti-trafficking allies really, really believe that we can change what trafficking means and that trafficking uh, that can refer to all labor and that we could use trafficking laws to, uh, yes. to stop these, a lot of abuses, these abuses. but. With the history, I'm not so sure. And one thing I am sure of is mm -hmm. that by instituting that direction and not making people wary of what has happened, what could happen with scapegoating sex workers, they uh, just continued the the this long thread of abusing sex workers because you know the victims ma making us into horrible victims and and you know and abusing us and i think that the trafficking framework is dire i think that people need to call it out i don't feel like people are discussing the framework yeah i mean and this comes back to like the sociolinguistics of it right where like the definition of trafficking is super important and, and I think you're right. They make us into victims so that they can take this real paternalistic view and swoop in and save us with these overly simplistic, oh, like one size fits all laws that actually put more sex workers in danger. Um, they don't solve the problem because the analysis of the problem is <laughs> completely off, out of touch. Yes, it's it's all there to prevent migrants from moving and pre prevent people from doing sex work. It's all yeah. historically constructed that way. And I don't think that, you know, the planet has done much to change things. I yeah. just thought of this the other day. Uh, really, I like this one that I feel like trafficking gerrymanders. Ooh. 
our all our the, the multitude of abuses that we've experienced into a place where we don't have power. Yes. That all, you know, we have our wage staff, the bosses might be trying to have sex, make us have sex with our friends, or coercion. Mm -hmm. We have um, you know, people do take their passports away when they're trying to get jobs is you know in domestic fields. I mean, there's a million abuses that are that do qualify or that they're not spending money on. Um, I yes. don't want to talk about enforcement of anything, but um, and 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 the reality of our work is being gerrymandered away from our uh, the source of power for us. And yes, until people st stop buying in. Now, I mean, my friends are in anti-trafficking groups. Yeah. I mean, my friends look at me. I just, there was something I just let through. Yeah. And so in our law, SB 32, 357, that we're trying to get rid of um, the loitering, oh, yeah. uh, people are um, saying that they need the loitering charges because we're sex workers. They need the loitering charges to get rid of the trafficking. And just, mm. I have to, you know, of course they're saying that. And I have to say, we have, been fighting back using the trafficking and saying no it helps traffic victims no mm. you know traffic and and if we don't arrest traffic victims it's better for them because um they then they're not so vulnerable we don't exactly that but the problem is that still reifies the whole trafficking framework and there yeah. was a document and another activist called mm. out and just said we just have to be so careful of not fighting trafficking with with the trafficking framework and I just was like it's so hard it's so hard and I think one of the things that I that drives me crazy is like is pitting the people who are pro-sex work and people who are anti-trafficking against each other because as a someone who is pro-sex work I am also anti-trafficking like what what the definition that they have of trafficking like I don't want I don't want people to be treated the way that people are treated when they're trafficked but um, I don't even like to say that because tra I would always use other words for trafficking if I was um or I think that's smart. here's a good one anti-abuse anti-exploitation and go. I'm against the, the the treatment that is identified as trafficking it's a teeny teeny little Love language that. Twist, and then you don't have to say you're anti-traffic you're yes. against you know, things identified as trafficking, things yes. categorized as trafficking. I think that's night and day, but- I but think the, that's so important, yes. It's really important, but you know what? The piece was too short and you couldn't put identified as trafficking in the piece every single time. So I gave up. I didn't even make that itsy bitsy little change because um, I was fighting trafficking with trafficking. Ugh. <laughs> it's mean, so hard. Fighting it, fighting it. Any trafficking with the trafficking framework, you know, yeah. as a tool. Yeah. Oh my God. Language. <laughs> um, I am gonna use this moment talking about language to kind of pivot to your more creative sensibilities because you are uh you're an artist, you're a poet, you're a musician, you you're an incredibly talented person, and you did run the sex worker San Francisco Sex Worker Film and Arts Festival. You founded it. Yes, with um, but well, my mother helped me found it. But I'm, wow, oh. Erica Fabulous and uh, Laurie McElroy, who is my friend who died in 2018. So. Oh wow, 
Um, but we mostly kept it going and act and local activists too. I love that. And one of the things that um, I've always appreciated about your work is this like theatrical aspect to a lot of your activism, like making it relatable and entertaining um, to have people think, but also this this emphasis on the importance of self-expression and documentation for marginalized communities. I think you even put that in the list of like things you can do for sex workers' rights in the back of your book that made me so happy to see. And I just, would you mind telling us a little bit about why it's so important to make self-expression and documentation available for marginalized communities? Oh, I hope I'm not too tired for this one because I just, that's fine. You know why? Because I've been doing a lot of work on this lately. Yeah. Kamal Gandhar is an organization in India and they talk about the, they talk about how central it is for, to be able to have our diverse, members of our communities work together mm-hmm. and how essential it is to use creative strategies and strategies with arts and creativity to support our communication, that that is kind of the route that we need to incorporate to communicate because of the diversity. And Agreed. this is just a, a, a document, uh, I mean, to. I, I, this that just needs a link. Chrysalidis Real, this artist, activist, and this is so important to me as an artist. And that sex work has that is a creative form. Um, yes. It can be. Uh, I mean, it, of course, it can also just be like you know, clearing off the table as a waitress. But it really can be an actual kind of work. You know, like dance is an uh, it's almost like dance. There is a creativity to this too. There's Absolutely. a lot of different ways to take it, but I just think that the relationship between sex work and art is important to understand. Yes. Not everyone is going, and you know, I, I can talk about privilege, but, and that has a lot of meaning, especially in uh, these colonialist cultures. There's different meanings if you're in a colonial or colonized culture. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, what I see coming out of colonized cultures is an art that's very, in sex worker groups, it's like an art that that's coming directly from the sex workers that, um, I, I, it's communal art, yes. a little bit different than what we see in the United States and maybe in Europe. That, and that art form, I feel like, has been central to the sex workers movement. Yeah. I just don't think I'm I'm up to explaining it all. Oh, that's fine. I think, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I also, well, my my interpretation of it is that like it's it's a way that we get to tell our own stories and our own history. Like that is that is the importance of self documentation and self expression, right? And so we don't want to let yeah. our oppressors do that for us. Oh. Yes. Um, yeah, yes, I have a, a cup, one, one more question and then some rapid fire. Um, is there something that you would want the greater public to understand about sex workers or sex work as a whole? Oh, you know, I saw that and I didn't think about it, uh, right away. No, the, the main thing is that people just need to understand how diverse it is. That's, uh, that's yes. what, 
well, you know, I, I can't think of anything else because, uh, you know, diversity to some people, it's a regular job. Some people it can be, uh, you know, something exciting and intriguing in their life's work. And some people, uh, it can be something they're forced into. It can represent a kind of rape. It can, and everything in between. So I think that, um, Diversity, they have to, and they also have to understand a monolith. They, I have one more of these two, okay. Yeah. A monolith, they, they have to understand that it has been seen monolithically. Not yes. only do they have to understand how diverse it is, that there's so many different people with living so many different types of lives it's in the fabric of society, but that people have regarded it monolithically and they just have to be able to embrace, you know, either they deal with people who are in a really abject situation or they think everybody's like making like, you know, $10,000 a day. Exactly, uh, yes. But the one thing, the, uh, here's another thing I didn't say that I really think more than anything, this isn't really in your category of question here, but okay. That's fine. You know what, our fe feminists and feminism have to get together and admit what harm women's movements have done to sex workers. We all have to mm. understand, we have to embrace this crime. We have to go forward. That movement needs to go forward with a recognition of the harms and use that as a model for change. So, uh, yes. Uh, yes. And I think, I mean, I put this online. Somebody said that didn't sound too likely. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, I, you know, I just think that nobody's doing that strategy. I don't see anybody among the feminists just say, just look at what you have done and then start to take it another way. Yeah. Well, it's, we live in a culture right now that is so allergic, like deathly allergic to admitting that we're wrong, that for an entire movement to come forward and say, we were wrong would be huge. Like it's important to admit we're wrong because then we can move forward and do better. Right. And I think you're incredibly right. Like the, the feminist yeah. movement needs to admit that it was wrong. Yeah. And I mean, the movements too, it doesn't mean that where countries understand that they sometimes like disavow their colonial heritage. Sometimes it's a struggle, but the, and yes. there are some models and I, it's hard to really, I don't really want to compare it to anything because that's not really fair, but there's models and they need to start using that framework. Agreed. Agreed. That's how change is going to happen. Are, are you ready for rapid fire questions? Oh, do I have a drink? Okay. Yes. Yes. Get hydrated. Okay. Pancakes or waffles? <laughs> I stumped. <laughs> waffles. Excellent. Salty or sweet? <laughs> Am I like the worst at this? Oh my God. I love it. These are hard. <laughs> These are hard for no reason. <laughs> uh, I need both. I'm, I won't always take both. I'll take both. Yeah. Do you have an order? Do you like sweet then salty or salty then sweet? Doesn't matter. Uh, and that doesn't matter. I love that. Okay. Glitter or sequins? Well, glitter <laughs> is medically dangerous, so I have to take sequins. Excellent. What is your favorite place you've but ever been? But I like been? glitter a little better. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what is your favorite place you've ever been? Oh, I love that. 
but I don't know. But oh my god, what's my favorite place I've ever been? Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> I know. <laughs> You've been so many places. I'm just because yeah, I just a little traveling around the world. I don't know. My favorite <laughs> place I've ever been. I don't know. Can I not answer that one? Oh, yeah. You have too many favorites? Yeah, and some of them are fa- the favorites for different reasons. I don't want to like one that's bad. <laughs> I love it. I like one that I learned the most at, but it's not any place I'd ever call my favorite. And then I, I could just say Venice because it was beautiful, but I don't want to say that. Yeah, we can we can be exempt from this question. That's fine. Yeah, with I'll, me. I'll exempt from that. <laughs> we'll plead the fifth. Um, a book from your mandatory reading list. Um, I don't know. Sex work, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Um, a song, an album, or a musical artist you've been obsessed with lately. Oh. <laughs> I love the way your face just lit up. Um, artist. Well, I do have a few. Megan the Stallion. Lizzo, oh, yes. I love them. So uh, maybe I'll just go for them. Yeah. But you can't I, might, I have one that I have been really obsessed with lately, though, that uh, those are my general obsessed ones, but I think I might, I'm gonna, by the end, I'll come up with, I do have one more that I'm in love with too. Yeah. Just to yell it out when you got it. Okay. Yeah. That happens to me all the time. Someone will ask me like, what are your favorite bands? Okay. And I'll be like, I've never listened to music in my life. Like ah, all information right. has just left my brain. Um, what is your secret talent? Oh yeah. Workaholic. I always, yeah. <laughs> I, I know Great. that one because it comes up at those meetings huge workaholic totally it's my oh, secret yeah. superpower that people have but that's it oh the that's biggest, so funny i'm the biggest workaholic my next question is if you had one superpower what would it be oh okay <laughs> so work workaholism uh, that's my superpower as what was the other one then what was the other the other one was what's your secret talent oh well the same thing yeah i love that um complete this sentence good sex is Something I've had very little of. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. It's a good answer. But also breaks my heart. I wish for you to have good sex always. <laughs> um, what is something simple that brings you joy? Planning a vacation. Mm. I just said that happened. That's why I was so happy. And I, my God, I went on a vacation because with COVID, you couldn't even leave. And I left and I was like, I don't think I had experienced pleasure so deep in two years. And I remembered what pleasure was. I love that. So important. And that brings us to the end of the interview. That's my last question. Um, So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Let's say goodbye to the listeners. Listeners. Goodbye. Bye listeners. Talk to you and, uh, See you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. I just love where that interview ended up going. Um, So big thanks to Carol Lee for being on the show. Thank you all for listening, as always. I really appreciate it. 
and uh, be sure to tell your friends. You can find all of Carol Lee's links, including a link to purchase her book in the show notes, as well as links for everything we talked about, at least as many of the things as I could find links for. And uh, yeah, enjoy checking those things out. I try to have a wide variety of things for you all to uh, look at after the show, if you so choose, in the show notes. Um, So do check those things out. I'm so thrilled to be back in the saddle or on the spaceship or whatever <laughs> whatever metaphor we're using. Uh, but I'm really grateful to, to have this podcast to return to uh, after the move. I need a little bit of normalcy, and I'm really grateful that y'all are here to uh, listen to whatever I'm putting out and uh, be a part of that for me. So thank you. And now is the time for a space fact. If you're like me, you end up with a bunch of weird bits and bobs in your pocket, like rubber bands, loose change, probably a hair binder or pocket knife, whatever it might be. Um, Keep the stuff in your pocket when you are traveling the galaxy because you never know what might be of value on another planet. You may not quite understand what sort of bartering chips you have in your pocket that you ascribe very little value to Um, so keep those things around because when you're running loose in the galaxy you need as many tricks up your sleeve as you can get nanu nanu motherfuckers Yeah.